Jim Jessup is a guy that I have known for a really long time, and he bears a strikingly similar resemblance in last name to William Jessup, which is the university I attended, uh, William Jessup University. And uh, I say all the time that we have extended family outside of this local church gathering, you know, family gathering that we need to hear from periodically. So he's kind of like long lost Uncle Jim. So you could just call him Uncle Jim for the rest of the morning and we'd all be okay with that and understand what we're talking about. So would you please welcome uh, Jim Jessup up to the front? Thanks, buddy. Dave, thanks so much, man. It is great to be with you guys. And uh, yeah, it does feel a little like family. You know, we were singing to the same God, our Father, this morning. This morning, uh, my home church over in Rockland singing some of the same songs. So I like that new one. That's pretty cool. Uh, so you, the truth is, you see, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives. Amen? And uh, yeah, we're, we're brothers and sisters, and it's just great to be with you. It really is. Uh, Neighborhood Bible Church, I grew up right down the road over here off of um, Santa Teresa at Lean. Went to Santa Teresa High School, so it's kind of fun to feel like I'm coming home here to see you all. And uh, uh, preached recently at the uh, Boston Valley Bible Church, which is uh, joined with another church I've heard. And uh, things are going good for them. And grew up at the Central Christian Church over on Meridian. And you know this guy Timothy over here for a lot of years, too. He's probably going to fall asleep during my sermon. So it's a joy, just a joy to, to be with you. Uh, some of you might not even know about William Jessup University. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it because I just want you to know where I'm coming from. And I want you to be able to rejoice that the kingdom of God is moving and young people are trained up, uh, being trained up to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Well, this slide here, the William Jessup, uh, the little logo kind of represents our campus. But let's show the first slide. Shows you back in 1939, my grandfather started a small school called San Jose Bible College right across from San Jose State University. That picture is in 1946 there. And uh, it grew fairly quick right across from San Jose State. And that school was to prepare people to uh, plant churches and move the kingdom of God forward. Well, fast forward to 2016. Uh, in 2004, we moved to Rockland. And here is a picture of those students now. Pretty cool, right? This, this fall, we're opening up with over 1,300 students. It's now a full liberal arts Christian university. We still have more pastors and missionaries and Christian educators being trained there than we ever have. But now we have people heading into the school systems and heading into business and working at the state capitol because Rockland is just about 30 minutes from Sacramento. It's really a great location for us. So I'd love to have you come visit sometime. I'm just curious, who all might have ever been to the old campus in San Jose when we were on 12th Street, okay? Good, I see some hands. Has anybody been up to Rockland? Hey, we got a few. Fantastic. If you'd like to come up sometime, lunch is on me. I, I promise. No joke. You, you show up. Ask the secretary, where's Jim Jessup's office? Come find me. And if you'd call me ahead of time, make sure I'm there. That would help. But, uh, but I would love to treat you to lunch in the cafe and just show you the campus. It's a beautiful, beautiful campus. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about um, uh, some of the transition and uh, what has happened as we go through the morning. But don't want to make too much of a commercial. Let's show the next slide. And you can see just some of the programs. I brought with me our 75th anniversary magazine. I thought about bringing our most current one so that you could have it. But then I thought, well, I'm coming to San Jose, and there's all kinds of San Jose history in here. It's really fun. And if you'd like to grab one, they're free. They're on the back table. And if you'd like to get on the mailing list to get our magazine every three or four months, we'd love to send that to you so you can know what's happening. 
Because folks, you know, I'm sure David said it many times. In fact, he said even this morning, every time zone this morning has been churches meeting, people glorifying God, and yet will throughout this day. And the kingdom of God is huge. And there are more and more who are being added to this kingdom daily. And we just want you to know there's a college here in Northern California that is Christ-centered and trying to help along with the church move the kingdom of God forward. And so it's just a joy to, joy to be with you. I think I have one more slide on the campus. Just shows you that front ramp without all the students, and it shows you our mission statement. To, to prepare transformational leaders to the glory of God. And we want to do that in partnership with the church. See, we have uh, so many churches that stand with us in prayer and in support and sending their students because they believe in us. And it's a great place to have your sons and daughters. Or you're thinking about going on for your master's degree or you're thinking about a, uh, finishing your bachelor's degree. We even still have our campus in San Jose over on Saratoga Avenue. There's a night program there. So anyways, you can pick up all that stuff in the back. And I'd love to talk with you more about it if you'd like. But I didn't come just to give a commercial, you know. I came to challenge you out of God's word and to encourage you. And I was talking with Dave, and, and I shared with him a little message that, that I might be able to bring to you folks this morning. It's, a, it's about legacy principles. This church has been around a long time. It's been here for a long time. I remember as a kid coming down Branham in my little 72 Toyota Corona. And I'm coming up and down, and I remember seeing this church here. And there's been hundreds, thousands possibly, of people who have come in and moved on to different locations because of jobs or life situations or whatever, but they've heard the name of Christ, and they have heard the truth preached in this place. And there's a legacy to this church, Neighborhood Bible Church. There's a legacy, and you're a part of that. And you get to continue that legacy. You also, you also get to continue a legacy of faith in your own lives, your personal families, your life itself. Much as I was talking with Greg in the sound booth back there, he said, my wife and I didn't come from Christian homes, but we decided to start a legacy. That's beautiful. And you have the opportunity. Now, this isn't a parenting message, okay? This is a message about you walking with God and the influence you make to create or to continue a legacy of faith. And I hope that you'd walk out of here encouraged. Is that okay? Good. No one's throwing tomatoes yet. And, and, if you, and if you don't like the message, you can come back next Sunday. Don't come here. Go to the park, remember. But I won't be there. There'll be a different message. All right? You know, I had to boil down the three things that my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents taught me. This I want to share with you. If I had to take all that I learned from them through God's word, this I share with you this morning in just a few brief moments. Number one, that you are a living example. That you are a living example. Do you realize, church, and, and it, it, it's something I have to remind myself of so often, do we realize that we may be the only Bible that some people will ever read? Have you ever thought of it that way? That's a sobering statement. You, as a Christ follower, may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. And I remember my parents gently and lovingly sharing that truth with me when they would see my life deviate from what I knew was right. Jim, do you realize that the way in which you live speaks volumes about what you believe? That you are a living example, Christ followers. You are a living example. 
You see, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, I'm not here today, I, honestly, to tell you, follow my example, because if my wife were here with me, she would say, don't follow him. <laughs> you know, he makes a lot of mistakes, and I do. I would want to stand before you and say, follow Jesus, just as Dave does, I know, from this pulpit. Follow Jesus. But if there's people in our lives, and there are people in your life who are watching your life, who will never pick up God's word because they believe it's irrelevant for their life. They're watching your life. You may be the only Bible they will ever read. You may be the only gospel that they will hear by the way in which you live. You are a living example. Now, I know this is first service, all right? So, so keep a smile and nod every once in a while and know you're with me. Everybody good with that? Okay, now catch this. If you've not written this, if you've never heard this, write this down. This is worth it. Actions create habits. Habits create character, and character creates destiny. Did you catch that? I said it fast. It's just those four words. Actions, those things that we do over and over and over again, become habits. They do, don't they? You keep doing stuff, and it becomes a habit of who you are, what you're like. Actions become Habits. Habits become character. It becomes a very fabric of who you are. Those things that you do over and over and over again, they create who you are, your character. And character creates destiny. In other words, it decides, it decides where you go, how you then live into the future, and where you end up. With this in mind, let me tell you about my great-grandparents, Calvin and Matilda Jessup. Here's a picture of them. They, they moved to the, in the late 1800s into a little town called Keys. Now, if you've been down Highway 99, you get to about Ceres, Turlock area, Ceres, and you see a little exit for Keys. If you take a right and you take another right at the Keys exit, there's still Jessup Road. Calvin Jessup was an elder at the church in Ceres called Ceres Christian Church. It's still there today. In fact, I preached at it just recently. In fact, my father will be there next Sunday for their 150th anniversary. My grandpa got up one morning... And I love this story. He got up, my great-grandpa, he got up one morning, went out to put the horses to the carriage to take his wife, Matilda, and six kids, of which the youngest was my grandfather, William Jessup, whom I'll tell you about in a minute, to take them to church. When he got out to the, to the stable, to, to the corral, the horses had busted out, and they were gone. He, he yells out for them. They don't come back. He turns to the family and says, I guess we're walking. And they walked about the three miles into downtown Ceres to the church. And when they got to the church, what would they find? The horses. And he deduced, he deduced that they were so used to going to church. Those horses were so used to making that trip to church that when they got lost, that's where they went. Because actions create habits. Habits create character, and character creates a destiny. Our animals are even learning from us, <laughs> you know? You think about it. Your dog and your cat, they're starting to know who you are, and they got you trained well. Amen? Yeah. Actions create habits. Habits create character. Character creates destiny. You are a living example. Now, Matilda prayed fervently for her youngest son, William Jessup, to become a pastor. And here's a picture of 
my grandparents. Now, this is the one that the college was named after because he's the one that started San Jose Bible College in 1939. That picture you saw a long time ago there of the very first campus. Then in 2004, we would move the campus to Rockland and name it after him. The reason we would name it after him was because of what he stood for, not because of who he was, because of what he stood for. Yeah, he was an amazing encourager. Oh, my grandfather and my grandma, they were, and I knew them well. Calvin had passed away when my grandfather was only 18 years old, so I didn't get to know Calvin, my great-grandfather, but I knew my grandfather very well. He was an incredible encourager. Amazing encourager. In fact, when I would leave, when I left in the late 80s for um, Illinois to go to seminary, I arrived with my wife and six-month-old, and I'm in seminary, and I'm preaching at this small church called Mount Auburn Christian Church in the very heart of Illinois, a little farm community. I was so out of my element, folks. <laughs> I didn't know what a combine was. I thought that was in the Old Testament, you know, and Solomon had many of them. Anyways, uh, <laughs> And, and, and I rode on my first combine through the, through the cornfields, you know, and all this. And, and I, was, I was out of my element, and I got a letter from my grandfather the first week. And I read the letter, and, and I, I just thought, well, that's really cool. Man, that my grandpa would take the time to write me. And I, and I threw it away. And the next week, I got another letter from him. And I read it, and I was, I was encouraged. It was just a letter of saying, hey, man, I love you. I'm proud of what you're doing. I know it's tough, Illinois. It's a different culture, but you hang in there. And I read it, and I, and I threw it away. And the next week, I got another letter. <laughs> and then I said to myself, you know what? This old boy's not going to stop, I don't think. He, he's not going to stop. So um, I grabbed this manila folder, and I threw it in my file cabinet. And, and I, I just started throwing his letters into that file cabinet. Because every week, and, and I mean every week, for two years, I got a letter on Friday. He would write on Monday, and I'd get it on Thursday or Friday, depending on the postal service speed. And every once in a while, Grandma would write at the bottom, and she'd write sideways like that, <laughs> just to make sure she knew it was her. And you know what? It's special to me, but he didn't write because he thought someday I'd hold this up, you know, and, and show some church. He wrote just because he cared. And he was being an example of encouragement to me. And he was saying, you know what? Um, I know that my grandson could probably use the encouragement right now as he preaches at this little church in a very different culture. And I share that with you because maybe there's somebody in your life that you'd stop right now and just think, I need to encourage them. I need to let them know I do love them or I do forgive them or that I do want them to know what I believe and why it's so important to me. You see, because you are a living example. You are the hands and feet of Christ. We, as his followers, we may be the only Bible that some people will ever read. We may know of the only love that they will feel through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, it would be April 12th, 1992, I, I would move back to California, and I was preaching at a small church in Almaden Valley. It was called Almaden Valley Christian Church. It's now a Taiwanese Christian church there. We, uh, we tried to make a turnaround, and we weren't able to, to make it happen. And uh, that's why I love the fact that this church continues on. 
Guys, this is, this is awesome, and you need to continue on. There'll be ups and downs. There'll be challenges. Well, I was preaching at that little church, and um, the South Valley Christian Church in Morgan Hill, I, think, I don't think it's still called that now, but uh, down there they asked us to come and speak. My grandfather and father and I were to talk about passing on your faith to your kids. And we were each going to do a message 15 minutes long to make a 45-minute sermon. <laughs> That's a challenge. And uh, Grandpa went first, and he shared, and he sat down second row right-hand side. And then I got up to speak, and my dad was going to finish after me. I got halfway through my talk, and my wife yelled out at me. I looked down. She's holding on to him. His head was back, his mouth open. He had a heart attack, and he died. He died in the service. I had a little Pell mic on like this one here, and they kept the recording going, so I have the recording, and every once in a while I listen to it. As I jumped down, I began to mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, and there was a Boy Scout leader that did the compressions, and we waited for the ambulance to come, and about 200 people surrounded us in a circle, and they prayed. And uh, boy, do they remember that sermon. Amen? That was tough. It really was. He was 86 years old, but he was ready to go home, and he joked about it from the pulpit. He joked about it, you know, because for him to live was Christ, but to die was gain. And then, and then to, to hear, you know, his grandson preach, um, I count that a privilege. The opportunity to say, here's what I've learned. Here's what I want to pass on. Again, this isn't a parenting message. This is a message about how we're passing this on, folks, how you are a living example. And it wasn't so much by what he preached, but it was by the way he lived that I believe this was real. Now, by the way, uh, Neighborhood Bible Church, no one has died since while I've been preaching. So keep breathing. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Keep breathing. Because that can shake your confidence when people die while you're preaching. You know. There is a lot of modeling, however, in our lives that can just simply be silly. Here's a picture. Oh, wait, wait, here, here's a picture of my mom and dad. Show them there. That's true. I've got I to I share this first before we go on to the silly part. You see, my, my parents made a huge difference in my life. And I've talked a lot about the men, ladies that are here. The incredible difference you make in the lives of those around you. I think God listens to your prayers a little bit better sometimes. Because some of you ladies know how to pray. And I think God answers your prayers just to get you to calm down and quit praying. You know? That's just a joke, but it's, it's true. I think he really appreciates your prayers. And I know it affects the people around you. My mom was a real woman of prayer. She would look at me when I was little often, and she'd say, you better pray that'll come out of the carpet. <laughs> and uh, she would carry me. Is this on? Is that working? Okay. She would carry me up the stairs in my home, in the home down there on Lean Avenue. And not every night, but she'd carry me up, to stair, up the stairs, and she'd throw me into bed, and she'd pray. And I would remember laying there looking up at the ceiling thinking, well, I don't even know about this God stuff. Is this real? Who's she praying to? And she'd do it again, you know, the next week. The next week, just praying. And I'd say, Mom, why are you doing this? I was in junior high years. My feet are dragging on the steps as I'm on her back. She's huffing and puffing to get up those stairs. I say, Mom, this is crazy. She goes, well, I want to pray with you. You know, it became important to my life because prayer became important to my life because it was modeled for me. It was modeled. And, you know, when you leave this place and you go off to brunch or you go grab lunch or something and you're in the restaurant, there'll be people notice that you pray before you eat, thanking God for the fact that you have food when many people don't in our world today. Or that you go home and there's a roast cooking or you've got something in the cupboard. Most of you do. So you know what I did when I had little kids? I bought a single-story home. <laughs> yeah. 
And I carried them off to bed. And I dropped them into bed. And I'd kneel down and I'd pray with them because I wanted prayer to become important to them. And uh, now I have grandkids, two of them. I know I don't look old enough for that. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, prayers become important to them. And my little grandson, Titus, he sits down at the end of the table. And I say, Titus, buddy. That's the way I announce to the whole family that it's time to pray. Titus, time to pray. And he stops. That's cool. But it's by example that those who are watching your life, even people you don't know who are watching your life, may come to understand who Jesus is because of the way in which you live. You are a living example. Now, some of the examples are just silly. Here's a picture. In 1975, my grandfather, William Jessup, wants to climb Half Dome and stand on his head on his 70th birthday. And he did. He climbed Half Dome on his 70th birthday, and he stood on his head. He just loved to go to high places and stand on his head and commune with God. That is just silly. But because he did it in, 19, or in 2002 when my uncle, his oldest son, Velti, he would climb it. He lives right out here in Las Gatas. He would climb it on his 70th birthday, so my father had to do it in 2005. We would try to find the same location every time we went up. I've been up to Half Dome a lot of times. I haven't stood on my head yet because I'm not 70. But you know what I'll do on my 70th birthday? I will scratch and claw for those permits that you have to get nowadays. And I will try to climb up Half Dome again and stand on my head. And the world looks at it as really silly. And some of you, <laughs> I say that is really silly. Yeah, it is. It is. In fact, here's what, uh, here's what Placer Herald, our newspaper, said. One Half Dome meets another. <laughs> you know? This guy is not all there. Just not all there. Why is he doing this? And my father tried to explain. But you know, when my dad and I went up there, and we sat on that rock right behind where he stood on his head, we knew my grandfather had put his head in that same spot, and we just stopped and prayed. And that was pretty cool. Because there's a heritage. There was a legacy. And you can continue that in your home. Maybe not the stupid stuff like that. You can continue it in your home, or you could start it. And before you know it, there could be some grandkid, there could be some young person in this church who's watching your life, because you do understand young people watch older people's lives even though they don't believe it, or you don't believe it, and they don't admit it, but they're wondering why you're holding on to God in your 60s and 70s when you've been through all the troubles you've been through. Why are you still holding on to God? And young people are watching that, and that encourages their faith. My father, last year, would... Let's show that next slide. He actually would climb Half Dome on his 80th birthday. I said, Pop, you're setting that bar pretty high, man. I don't think I can guarantee you I'll make it up on my 80th, but I'll, I'll go for my 70th. He believes he's going to climb it with me. <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, earn. Yeah, but uh, um, <laughs> come on, that's funny. That my, my son had to help him, you know, get up into his headstand there, and then he falls down. You don't see it. I wish I had it on video. He falls down in the bottom right-hand picture. I had to catch him. But that old man made it up there. Why? Because he wanted to commune one more time on the top of that rock, knowing that his father had been there. And uh, I will too. You are a living example. Silly, um, Outrageous at times, times when you wished you hadn't been that kind of an example, bad example at times. But the truth is, the way in which we live speaks volumes about who we believe God is. Hey, number two, and quicker here, people are more important than things. 
People are more important than things. If I had to boil down all that my parents and grandparents, great-grandparents taught me, folks, people are more important than things. When you get to the end of your life, you won't be looking over all of the houses and the cars and the stuff that you have accumulated, but you'll be wondering about the relationships that you had and the ones that you missed. How do I know that? Because I was a chaplain when I was in Illinois going through seminary, and I had the oncology unit. That was not fun. People laying there dying of cancer in the late 80s, early 90s, and not one time did one of them say to me, before I go, I wish I'd have bought a bigger bass boat. I'm just being honest. Not one of them said, I wish I had a bigger home before I go. But almost all of them said, I wish I'd have spent a little more time with this person. Or I wish I'd have forgiven this person. Or I wish I'd have done this with this person. Because people are more important than things. Hebrews 13, 5, powerful. Powerful verse, and if you're into memorizing, and you should be, because when you hide God's word in your heart, you sin less against him. Hebrews 13, 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. You catch that? Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It's not wrong to have, this is worth, this is worth remembering. I know this is early service. This is the first one. Get, get with me here, a few more minutes. It's not wrong to have the things that money can buy as long as in the process we don't lose the things money can't buy. Amen? Yeah. Give me a nod, at least one or two. Yeah. It's not wrong to have the things that money can buy as long as in the process you don't lose the things money can't buy. 15% of all Jesus' teachings were on money and possessions. He taught more about, about money and possessions than he did on heaven and hell combined. That's true. More on money and possessions than heaven and hell combined. Why? Because he knew that it would be stuff. It would be the stuff that we could accumulate and the stuff that we think we have to have that would get in the way of our view of him. And it could take the place of him. And it could become our God. It messes up relationships, doesn't it? Frequent challenge in our marriages and our relationships and our friendships. Did you hear about Harold and Marge? Let's lighten things up. Did you hear about Harold and Marge? They were at the county fair. There's an airstrip by the county fair. A plane was there, open cockpit, dual wing. It said airplane ride, $10. The pilot was standing right next to it. Harold said, Marge, I want to ride that there plane. It's only $10. And she said, Harold, $10 is $10. So he didn't get to ride. <laughs> so the next year, the fair comes around. And there it is again, the same plane. He says, Marge, I want to ride that there plane. I'm not getting any younger. She says, Harold, that plane ride costs $10, and $10 is $10. He didn't think he was going to get to ride again, but the pilot overheard him, said, I tell you what, I'll take you up in the plane, and if you two don't make a peep, if you don't let out a sound, I won't charge you the $10. Being frugal, they both hopped into the plane. They get in the plane, he does every whip and turn and barrel roll he can to get him to holler out. Not a peep. He lands the plane. He turns back and says, Harold, I did everything I could to get you two to holler out. I didn't hear a word. He said, well, I was going to say something when Marge fell out of the plane, but $10 is $10. That's, that's just a silly joke. And, and, and Dave may not have me back for that one. But where your treasure is, folks, you with me? It's early service. Got to get you alive, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart always follows what you treasure. You with me? Your heart always follows what you treasure. And therefore, things can become so much more important than people. 
if you're not careful to make sure that your heart is not following after things, after stuff that will rust and decay and moths will destroy. We are simply money managers. You know, when, when we get that right in our lives, when we get that right in our thinking, oh, folks, catch this. The truth is you don't own anything. And some of you don't like that statement even. And some of you don't believe it because you say, no, I got the title to my car. I've worked hard to pay that thing off. That's mine. Or my house, 30 years, man, and that's mine. Now, that's my house. Really, it could be burning down right now. And what do you own? Ash. Well, yeah, you got insurance, so you'll build another one. Sure you will. But who of you have seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer. Because you don't own it. You just get a little chance to manage it for a while because you can't take it with you. And once we really get that truth into our hearts and into our minds that we are simply money managers, not money owners, that all that we have, God has allowed us to have, it is His. We can't take anything with us. Naked and, 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 and um, helpless we came into this world. We will leave this world and not taking anything with us but the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time when John Rockefeller died, he was one of the wealthiest men on earth, and a story goes that someone asked his accountant, how much did John leave? His accountant replied, all of it. <laughs> so true. It's not wrong to have the things that money can buy as long as the process, you don't lose the things money can't buy because people are more important than things. You are a living example. And number three is keep looking forward. Neighborhood Bible Church, if I had to, again, what is it that I felt is so important through God's Word that I was taught from my parents, my grandparents, what did they live out? What did they teach? Keep looking forward. And you're living this out for others who are watching your lives in the way in which you keep looking forward and not living in the past. We learn from the past. We need to look at the past, say, what did happen? That's why we teach history at William Jessup University. We have a major in history. You can come and spend four years studying history. And it's important to know our history. Why? So that we don't repeat the stupid mistakes that we as a civilization have made. Amen? Yeah. And yet, many of us, and many of the young people, especially the 18 to 22-year-olds who show up on campus, really don't care about history. We have to help them understand the appreciation of history so that they won't repeat the stupid mistakes that have been made. So much we can learn from it, but we cannot live in it. You with me? Now, I'm a guest preacher, so I can step on a few toes. Dave won't have me back anyways, most likely. There were probably pews in this church. I'm just guessing. When this church was first built, there were probably pews in here. And when those pews went and the chairs came in, people were probably not happy with it. That was probably way well before any of you showed up here, I would imagine. I don't know. Am I stepping in sticky areas, Dave? Okay. I'm telling you the truth. This is what happens. We can get so used to and so familiar with and so in love with the past, we don't want to move forward. Neighborhood Bible Church, there are people who want to come to know who Jesus is, but our culture is changing. And we have got to change the methods of the way in which we go about sharing the message, which never changes, amen? We change the methods, but we don't change the message. 
Otherwise, we stay, our, we stay in the past. We stay stuck in the past. And we have got to keep looking forward. Philippians 3.13 says, Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. It is hard when we have been hurt. It is hard when we have uh, been in love with it is hard when we have had some experience that has been so good or so bad to not want to live in the past of what was good or what was bad. But God is more concerned, so much more concerned, not with what you have done, but what you will do. You with me? Because huh. he's a God of love and he's a God of grace and he's saying, I forgive you. And I also, I'm not impressed. You with me? That which you did wrong, I forgive you. That which you did great, okay, that's nice. I'm not that impressed. What are you going to do today now? Let's move on. Let's move on. My wife, by the way, and she gives me permission to tell this story, I had much different growing up than I did. And unfortunately, it may have been like some of yours. And I'll tell it very briefly. She grew up in a home with two different dads. Divorce, remarriage, another divorce. Both of them were alcoholics. Both of them beat up her mom. She would come home and see her mom often very bloodied up and wonder if she needed to call the police. This was in fifth, sixth grade that she would have to endure this. It was in fourth grade that her grandfather would start molesting her. Her grandfather, a man she thought she could trust and a man she thought she could look up to, would begin to molest her all the way into her junior high years. And that can mess you up. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That can mess you up. We would get married at age 21 and struggle in our marriage in those first few years because I would under, not understand why I could not seem to communicate well with her, why it seemed that it was difficult for her to trust me. We were listening to a speaker one time who said, and I quote, and this is worth remembering, you can blame a lot of people for the way in which you were raised, but you can only blame yourself for the way you choose to live today. Did you catch that? You can blame a lot of people for the way in which you're raised. So you can live in the past and you can say, I am who I am today because of all this stuff that has happened to me. It's their fault and it's their fault and it's their fault. I can live in the past or I can say, you know what? Today I have the choice to live by the grace of God, how he wants me to live, with the joy that he can give, and I choose today to live for him. That was good. Are you with me? Amen? I hope you would take that and hold on to it. Because that is so true, it's not easy. We can live in the past very easily. Or we forgive ourselves, forgive those who have hurt us, and we can accept the grace of God and move on. Well, sometimes, folks, sometimes we just kind of like what the past had to offer. Sometimes we just like what the past had to offer. I like the fact that I used to have hair. And every day I look in the mirror and there's more of it in the sink than there is in my head. And, and, and we look at our spouses and we think, you know what? She looks a lot different than when I first married her. Did you hear about the guy who watched his wife getting ready? It was her birthday. And he says to her, honey, what do you want for your birthday? She's looking in the mirror and she didn't like the extra that she was seeing another year had done to her. And, and, and she said, oh, I wish I was six again. He hops out of bed, takes her to amusement park, throws her on a bunch of rides, Gets her hot fudge sundae, cotton candy, 
stops at McDonald's for a Happy Meal on the way home. They plop on the couch. He looks at her and says, how did it feel to be six again? Her eyes got huge. She said, is that what this was about? I meant my dress size. <laughs> By the way, do you know, listen, as we talk about the past, do you understand why married women tend to be a little bit larger than single women? Don't get mad at me. Why married women are a little larger than single women? Because when a single woman gets home, she looks at what's in the fridge and she goes to bed. But a married woman gets home, she looks at what's in the bed and goes to the fridge. <laughs> That's worth holding on to. <laughs> hey, brothers and sisters, listen. you got to keep looking forward. Amen? Two of you are with me. Amen? Amen. All right. Dave, you got to work with this group, don't you, brother? Huh? you got to keep looking forward. If you get stuck in the past, then you're going to live in the past. And God wants you to worry about today. What is going to happen today as you live for him? As a living example, knowing that people are more important than things. These are the truths that I think we're teaching these students. Show, this, show that rant picture one more time. I have a spiritual formation group of just young men every semester. And these young men choose to be in my spiritual formation group. And simply it is talking about their master and their mission and their mate. Their master, their mission, and their mate. Who they will serve, how they will serve, and who they will serve with. Three of the biggest decisions you make between the age of 18 and 22. For they'll end up serving the world or serving themselves, or they'll serve God with him as their master. And hopefully they choose wisely with their mate, who will in unison with them strive after all that God wants. But these are the things that we're trying to teach these, these young people. These are the things that I find as Christians we need to be reminded of. For as Mark Twain said, it's not the things about Scripture that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things I do understand. With me? Uh, you are a living example. People are more important than things. Keep looking forward. As I close with this story, I believe that it's really about aiming at the right targets, guys. You see, there are many targets that our world has set up as saying, you ought, to, you ought to put your time and energy and your beliefs here. You ought to do this. You ought to do this. In 2004, Summer Olympics, since we just finished the Olympics, this is a good story for this time. 2004 Summer Olympics, they were in Athens, Greece, and a man named Matt Emmons, an American, was in the 50-meter rifle competition. 50-meter rifle competition. He was good. He was so good, in fact, and so far ahead in points that by the final round, all he needed to do was get the shot on the target. Not a bullseye, just on the target. And he had the gold wrapped up. The gold medal. He had trained for years. He had worked on his breathing. He had worked on the, the muscle tension. Everything he needed. The right vision for it. All this was so good, he was favored to win. There was no problem. The problem was, however, as he got to the final round, he knew he had the gold wrapped up. He knew it was his. All he had to do was get the shot on the target. That would be child's play. He lines up, he fires the shot, and the light doesn't come on at the end of his scoring row, indicating he'd fired a shot. He's, under, he's bewildered. What's going on? The judges are called over. They pull in his target, and there is no hole in it, so they decide let's pull in the targets next to his. They pull in both targets on either side of his, and one of them had a bullseye in it. In Matt's haste, he lined up on the wrong target. He lined up on the wrong target. And in so doing, didn't get the silver, didn't get the gold, didn't get the silver or the bronze. In fact, eighth place. 
eighth place, the guy who was favored to win, who was obviously the best athlete in this competition at that time, and he lost. Why? Because he was aiming at the wrong target. And I read that story, true story, look it up. I read that story and I thought to myself, wow, what an analogy for life. That we would train the way we think the world is telling us all these things we need to do to find happiness, abundant life, and something for hope for our future, only to get to the end of our lives and realize that was the wrong target. Folks, I've given you three of them today that I hope would become very valuable and important targets in your life. That you'd remind yourself you are a living example. That people would be more important than things. And that you would keep looking forward. Thank you for the chance to share with you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these brothers and sisters. Lord, I, in the inadequacy of my words, oh God, I pray that your spirit moved upon those who are here, for those who just needed to hear this word, to know, Lord, that if they come from a background where faith was not handed down to them, for them to remember that there was someone they watched, there was someone that they felt the love from, your love. There was someone that they heard the truth from. Father, they were living examples to them. May they become that for someone else. May they be reminded, O oh Lord, that these people that are in their lives, here, their family at this church, the people they work with, the people that they just have fun with throughout the week, Father, that those people are more important than the things that society says we have to have. Father, I pray that you'd encourage them to continue looking forward. The mistakes that have happened or the successes that have been made, those are in the past. They've helped to design and create who we are today, but they don't have to define who we are. We need to move forward. May today be the, rest, the first day of the rest of our lives as we look forward. We step into tomorrow knowing you're holding on to tomorrow, even though we don't know what tomorrow holds. God, thanks for your love. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for the chance for us to be together and worshiping you this morning. In your son's name.